0: The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing.
1: Are we headed to Armageddon? Is the man who launched the first major European war since 1945 now also contemplating the first use of nuclear weapons since the Second World War? And if a desperate and defeated Vladimir Putin does make even a small
0: nuclear strike, how would the West react? Can we respond appropriately without risking escalation to all-out nuclear war? Is it right to back down in the face of a tyrant if only to avoid that ghastly prospect? Or do we have to draw a red line
1: and punish those who use such weapons whatever the risks is this the way the world ends questions about threats to our very existence on today's episode
0: the why
1: have. Jesus Christ, Roger. I mean, you write these introductions. I mean, well, what the hell? I mean, look, we are. I mean, you know we, we're getting all worked up about uh, changes of leadership at the top of the Conservative Party and economic <laughs> issues, which are important. Don't get me wrong. But not that important, it seems. Well, not If sure. mankind is about to be wiped out by it, it, Vladimir Putin it, and whatever else happens next. Exactly. And the thing is, people who know an awful lot more about this than me, and we're going to be speaking to one of them in just a moment do say there is a possibility more no, than a possibility that vladimir putin pushed right back possibly facing annihilation possibly facing being removed who knows what might decide to use as i say small nuclear and no, a small nuclear weapon that's almost seems, seems yeah, absurd and
0: what happens if it is you know does small become big but i mean there's i mean we've got this far haven't we with this idea of mutually assured destruction and does that not apply anymore? Do we think Putin is deranged and therefore he's just going to ignore that? Is he a seventy, a sad 70-year-old man backed into a corner who's going to say, well, if I'm, look, I'm only going to be around for 10 years,
1: I might as well finish off the planet with me? Well, maybe he's not going to be around for 10 years. I mean, there is the Ceausescu prospect from Romania, 1990, when, of course, the Romanian dictator was, was killed by the uprising that overthrew him. I mean, that you know, the prospect of imminent destruction is not one that uh, is impossible in modern-day Russia, let's face it. And, you know, why not bring the house down? Or perhaps say, well, actually, a small nuclear weapon goes off. Is the West, in response, really going to throw everything? Really going to react so badly that we go to mutual destruction? Maybe the West wants to die either. No. I
0: and mean, when you look at it, you know, Crimea, we just let it happen, didn't we? It just sort of happened. Ah, it's we a different rolled, world now, but yes. We, we rolled over. I know, but I mean, we've shown that we can do it. Yeah. We can, we can go, oh, well, yeah, it's just a bit of a shame about Ukraine.
1: Well, but- also, with other weapons of mass destruction, don't forget about Syria. Yeah. Obama said, President Obama said, it's a red line. If, if the Assad regime uses chemical weapons, then we will, we will not accept that. We will respond. Didn't. They mm. left it. Yeah, and you know there is always this possibility. So how much of
0: it is rhetoric? That's the question. And then, he, and even if if we ignore that side of things, just how capable is Putin? I mean, a lot of these weapons have been sitting around for a long time. Uh, is it is it going to be like a you know old box of standard fireworks? You know, where you light the touch paper, step back, and nothing happens. <laughs>
1: well, there have been a few issues, of course, of Russian munitions as we know. But uh, yes, I mean these things have just been sitting there. There is an element of bluff in hmm. nuclear warfare politics There always has been. Yeah, but it's. An awful lot to gamble with, isn't it? I mean, this is the problem. Anyway, we've got someone who is going to take us through what's going to happen, what potentially could happen, how Mm. the West could respond and where this all takes us, and indeed how likely any of these ghastly scenarios really is. It's Jeremy Shapiro, who's Director of Research at the European Council on Foreign Relations, also fellow of the Brookings Institution, and formerly in the US State Department, and he joins us now. Jeremy, hello. So, Jeremy, I mean, Putin has said that he would use nuclear
0: weapons if Russia's independence of its territorial integrity is threatened, Uh, and he also added he wasn't bluffing on that. And we know now, don't we, that several regions of Ukraine are seen by him as part of that territory well, part officially
1: of, annexed by
0: the Russians yeah. so oh, it's official as far yeah. as he's concerned but not by anybody else so it's all as far as he's concerned it's all gloves off now so he's got the gloves off and you know he's making it sound like he's ready to push the button but how much of that is actually rhetoric I mean how seriously can we take him on this
2: uh, I think that most of it is rhetoric, but that doesn't really imply that we shouldn't take the threat of nuclear war seriously. I think that part of the problem we're having with this is that the threat of nuclear war doesn't come from where uh, the Russians say it's coming from. Um, the, The issue is that the Russians will escalate To use nuclear weapons if they feel as if they are losing the war, because losing the war would be an existential threat, not so much to the territorial integrity of Russia, whatever the hell that means, Mm. but rather to the regime itself and even to the lives and livelihoods of uh, both Vladimir Putin and the people closest to him. Um, and so, in that case, I think that they would uh, gamble that uh, pushing toward the nuclear taboo and even over the nuclear line would be useful. Um, but that is not what they're talking about right now. What they're what they're doing right now is really just trying to frighten us. And so, I think that the problem we're having is that. Um, We don't want to respond to Russian propaganda,
1: but at the same time, we should be taking the threat of nuclear war very seriously. Well, you said useful in in their terms, if they were thinking as a, a tactical move, I suppose, is what we might describe it as. But how is it useful to use nuclear weapons for them in this context? Yeah, well, it's it. Uh,
2: that's what I tried to construct in the scenario in the piece that I wrote for War on the Rocks, and I because I, I, I think what's important to understand is that you can arrive at nuclear war through a series of individually rational steps that adds up to a sort of world-ending absurdity. Um, and what I think what will happen, what the scenario that I drew, I think there's many others, but one way to think about it is that um, if if the Russians are losing this war. Some genius in the back of the room of a Russian government council will say, look, I have this idea. If we cross the nuclear taboo, if we demonstrate a tactical nuclear weapon, the West, which really doesn't care about Ukraine and is basically decadent and and really wants to just uh, go home, will... Um, We'll get scared. We'll understand that we're just crazy enough to do it, just crazy enough to attack them. And all of these forces in the West that aren't that interested in Ukraine will rise up and say, we can't risk this. Um, And so uh, they will convince themselves that that is possible because they have no other good choices. Mm. Uh, And that's kind of the way that the human mind and the government councils particularly work. I experienced that a lot in the U.S. government where you'd be confronted with the sort of two options, which were either World War III or appeasement. And uh, the head government official at the front of the room would say, you know, I don't really don't like either of those options. Can you give me something else? And uh, somebody in the back of the room would come up, would say, I have this idea and you don't have to have either World War III or appeasement. He would usually be wrong.
0: Mm. Um, but but in that but, in that scenario you painted, I mean, there is a real chance that I mean that that person at the back of the room could be right. That if 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 they did something catastrophic like that, like a small scale uh, nuclear weapon, and you know, I want to investigate that a bit further because is there such a thing? But if they were to if they were to let off some sort of a, atomic weapon in Ukraine, would they be right? Would the West go well? Let's do what we did to Crimea, which is sort of like uh, uh, close our eyes and uh, block yeah, our ears well, and pretend it didn't happen. Well,
2: look, I think that it's just possible enough that that guy in the back of the room is right, that he might be able to um, convince them in the argument. I don't think he is right. Mm. Um, And in my discussions with uh, various U.S. officials and experts over the last several weeks, they've been pretty clear. And they've done this in public, too. But I think that they mean it um, that the nuclear taboo is too serious. And to, uh, and sets too awful a precedent to allow it to be crossed without serious punishment. And they so have what many would options happen to, what, for
0: punishment. Yeah, okay. There's going to be a question. What, what, what would that punishment be?
2: I think that in, the, in this particular instance, what they, they, there's uh, two or possibly three uh, options that they would have. First of all, they would be looking for a direct kinetic strike against Russian forces. Uh, and they would eat. I think the choice a, a is a conventional would, strike. You're, you're a talking Conventional. About. Yes, absolutely. Conventional strike. They've been very clear about
0: that. Right. On um, Russian soil, though. So not
2: necessarily on Russian soil, but against
0: Russian targets. Right. Um, so, uh, we're still I think doing f- that now, aren't we? I mean, if it's,
1: if it's, are well, within- not, no, we're, we're allowing the Ukrainians no. to do it. Oh, Ukrainians right. are doing right. it. Yeah.
2: The U S and NATO is not doing it. Right. Uh, and that would be a very significant difference in but the from eyes Russia's, of right. But from Russia's, and- from
0: Russia's point of view though. I mean, we are, aren't we? I mean, it's just like, we're arming the Ukrainians. Uh, we're, we're providing- I mean, they
2: certainly think that we're involved in a proxy war, but they are quite, um, uh, they have noticed the difference between the efficacy of Ukrainian forces mm. and the efficacy of NATO forces. Right. And so if NATO and or the U.S. particularly got – directly involved they would rightly see that as a very serious escalation so, yeah.
1: so what we're talking about here then is it would be some kind of conventional uh, missile attack let's let's posit that perhaps on a russian formation say uh, uh, in the south of, of ukraine perhaps uh, in the Kherson area for the sake of argument Possibly, on a russian yeah. formation of some kind and then it would stop they would just say well that's our reply end of Yes, they would be sending – what they would be trying to do is send a signal to the
2: Russians that um, they are trying to punish the uh, Russian nuclear escalation uh, in a serious way, but not trying to escalate the war itself uh, and not trying to uh, move toward overthrowing uh, the Russian regime. So they would be looking for a finely calibrated – response that could send both those messages at the same time
1: and this would be in response to save again for the sake of argument if we're building the scenario perhaps a, a small inverted commas nuclear yeah. attack on a, a ukrainian armed uh, area perhaps or even even potentially i suppose an uninhabited area like snake island in the black sea something like that yeah
2: or or you a, or a civilian area um yeah i think all of those are possible uh i personally think that the uninhabited area is a little bit less likely because specifically what they're trying to do is demonstrate the seriousness of their intent Uh, I think they would probably prefer Ukrainian military formation but those might be hard to find in concentration Uh, so a civilian target is definitely a possibility
0: he also wants to uh, to demonstrate obviously that uh, the West is out to get Russia so the moment NATO gets involved uh, and starts uh, a- attacking russian targets within ukraine that gives him the ability to go back to the russian people and say look russia is 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 under attack these are, are areas which we have declared are uh, are part of russia you know people have voted on it they're, you know they've they're part of our territory and look nato is attacking russia now i mean that would be exactly what he wants isn't it
2: I don't know that it's exactly what he wants uh, because it's a pretty dangerous escalation, but But he can use it to
0: his advantage, uh,
2: but he can use it. Sure. He can use it to the advantage. And I think um, it's not that hard in Russia to make the case for a patriotic war. I think they're already making that case uh, now. They're already saying that uh, the U.S. and NATO are involved. They're already right to a certain degree. Uh, But yes, this would certainly uh, make that argument much easier to make uh, and certainly release him from release the Russian regime, Putin and and the rest of the regime from any sort of domestic constraints that they're feeling right now.
1: Which in the scenario we're talking about would potentially lead to further escalation, because if we say, you know, small nuclear strike somewhere in Ukraine, followed by a US stroke NATO conventional strike on a Russian formation, the next step maybe as russia says well we'll we'll carry on we'll do something similar because we are now formally at war with nato
2: i think that they would have to uh because i think that from their perspective uh this idea this calibration that uh this attack isn't isn't presaging more direct nato attacks on them and on russian soil would be quite hard to believe i mean once once uh, the U.S. and NATO have crossed the line of attacking Russia directly, uh, uh, Russian forces directly, or even because one of the options is, uh, is the Russian military base in Russia that delivered the nuclear weapon, um, then I think uh, they would feel like they absolutely had to respond or they would be subject, th- their deterrence would break down and they would be subject to any number of other uh, U.S. or NATO conventional attacks uh, in Ukraine or even in russia, and ha- and having done that without without a nuclear deterrent, without a credible nuclear deterrent anymore, they would be incredibly vulnerable. so I, I think that their response would be they would someone stand up in the Kremlin and say, "We can't let this go unpunished. We have to show them that we are not afraid of war with NATO, and so they would uh, and and we have to sort of involve the NATO countries so that they understand what the what costs they'll pay. and so they would take the war to um, some NATO bases in Poland or the Baltic
0: States or someplace like that. So I'm still trying to figure out what actually would drive this towards a nuclear war, what the the, the the steps that you're outlining that would make him make a decision that has previously been held back because of, you know, mutually assured destruction and all that. What is it that would motivate him to to take that yeah, step?
2: Well, we're working our way up to it, but um let me pause for a second to say that this is not just about Vladimir Putin. So when you say what would make him do it, it's true that he has to make the ultimate decision.
0: Yeah, but but this because yeah, you've talked about his regime, and I'm wondering how much yeah. of it is just a 70-year-old who's a no, who's a bit loopy now, and he's looking for a bit of legacy. And uh... no, I think it's about more than that. Mm.
2: I mean, he's obviously quite central and important, but frankly, my analysis wouldn't change dramatically if someone put a bullet in his head tomorrow. Really, that's a shame. Uh, Yeah, it is a shame, but I think it's an important thing for us to understand.
1: Mm, Yeah, and in in Uh, fact, we might get someone even worse in all possibility.
2: uh, Yeah, I think that Vladimir Putin obviously has his own particularities and he's, you know, uh, on on a very deep level, an asshole. But um, he's not out of character with Russian leaders and he's not uh, he's not running uh, against the grain of Russian politics. Mm-hmm. And so if he was replaced tomorrow, he would probably be replaced by someone who is not dramatically different
1: mm-hmm. from him and quite possibly worse. So the logic of what you're saying then uh, is that the, the, the escalation scenario would apply in almost not- any case. But let's proceed yeah. further. I mean, we, we, we took through the scenario, which was. Russian, perhaps small-scale nuclear attack. When NATO stroke U.S. respond with something conventional. Russia then says, well, we need to escalate further. How many more steps go on? And surely isn't someone somewhere saying, this is exactly the mutually assured destruction scenario, which is, in theory, what kept us safe during the Cold War? Well, I'm still also trying to understand why they did the nuclear attack in the first place.
2: Well, they did the nuclear attack in the first place because they had no other options. To, mm-hmm. They would mm-hmm. lose the war otherwise, and they felt like if they lost the war, that would be an existential threat to their regime and to their lives. Yeah, so
1: they make that decision. Uh, but then, so how it, it, is it is a progress, bit of a then, right. uh,
2: I guess we're only two steps away. Um, the After the Russians respond uh, against NATO territory um, and they do that, probably through uh, conventional i mean a uh, tactical nuclear strikes on nato territory because they don't really have many other options um the us uh the us and nato launches more wide-scale conventional attacks against russian territory in response to those attacks at that point the russians believe that their strategic nuclear deterrent is under threat and being targeted. And what's going on is that the US is attempting to uh, destroy their deterrent so that they can have a, um, uh, a conventional option to take over Russia. Um, and so the Russians, uh, in the first instance, put their strategic nuclear forces on alert. The Americans uh, do too. At that point, the Russians realize that unless they launch their nuclear deterrent, uh, unless they launch a first strike against the United States and, and other targets in the, in. Uh uh, in NATO, then they will lose their nuclear deterrent, and so they do that.
1: The, the classic scenario, which we've been thinking about, I guess, since well, the 1950s, really. Right, uh, and the entire the entire sort of
2: theory of nuclear deterrence since the 1950s has to never put a country in that a nuclear state in that scenario, so and that is the scenario we're headed for.
0: And 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 Russian people believe that the West would want to take over Russia. Is that is that I mean, he's he's arguing that I'm not
2: sure I can speak for the Russian people, but um, (laughs) the Russian, the Russian elite, the Russian, certainly the Russian regime, but even the outer levels of the elite believe that.
0: On what basis? Uh, I mean, that's I mean, I've met some like I've met crazy Americans, by the way, who think the Brits want to take back America. You know, we, we're still harboring uh, in this country, you know, that we lost the we, Civil War. We can't run our own state.
1: I don't oh, we know. Really <laughs> really don't. interesting. Could, we, <laughs> but could we,
2: we specify which parts you <laughs> pick? <back>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: no, you're, welcome. Definitely you're welcome. There
0: be a trade there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We can pick and choose. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, but, um But uh, but, uh, but that is crazy talk. So, I mean, uh, isn't that the same? You know it's crazy for russians to think that we would want to Um, well i don't
2: i don't think that it's true um Mm. but i guess i don't think that it's crazy either um because uh and first of all i would say that this is conventional wisdom amongst russian foreign policy circles um so it's not you don't have to be crazy in russia uh, to believe it, although I guess to be Russian, maybe you have to be crazy. Um, hmm, debatable, yeah. <laughs> debatable. We have to be born. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that yeah. doesn't make you crazy. I mean, that yeah. comes later. I've huh? met
2: some very sensible Russians, I would say, in their defense. But yeah, yeah that's, that's That's absolutely true. I just mean that I think to be part of the Russian regime, you, it, you have to have bought into these uh, beliefs. Um, and I think that, uh, I think Brian large, everyone has, and, you know, the basis of them is certainly not insanity. This is, uh, the U S has been moving forward. It's security Alliance, um, toward the Russia toward, uh, for the last 30 years, creeping up to the Russian border. It's basically on the outskirts of St. Petersburg right now. Um, they have been, um, uh, they have had a policy of democratization in Russia, which worked through Russian civil society organizations, which has largely been stopped in, in recent years, but by the Russians, which was explicitly aimed at democratization. If you are not a democracy, then democratization is regime change by another name. Uh, so this is not uh, insanity. It's certainly not what the U.S. intends. It is not U.S. policy. But Interestingly, it was not U.S. policy to overthrow the regime in Libya. It was not U.S. policy to overthrow the regime in Iraq. Uh, it was not U.S. policy to overthrow the regime in Serbia after the Kosovo War. But all of those things happened. Uh, and so um, this is, uh, from a Russian perspective, U.S. denials, and actually the deep belief that the U.S. has that it's not trying to do this uh, is not really very, very, very but going relevant.
1: With that logic, to the brink of mutually assured destruction, which is what we're talking about, doesn't make sense. If you have investments in Russia, if you're a, uh, a rich person in Russia, if you're a member of the elite in Russia, you know the logic of, of escalating to nuclear war, and that it will mean everything is gone. Surely. Well even if you, you know, even if you're just actually quite attached to living. Well, there is that.
0: Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm attached to that, so I feel that. Um, but my point is that. Um, if if you're if you're if you're where we are today or where we are six months ago, you would say absolutely we will never go down that path. Uh, but what happens is you put both sides in a in a place at each step where even though there are these risks of escalation, the risks of not taking these escalatory steps are from their from their individual or group perspectives worse. Mm. And so they do it. And that's what I mean by a series of individually rational steps that ends up in a world ending absurdity, Uh, because it is absurd. No one would ever plan to get there and no one is planning to get there. But that doesn't mean we will we won't end up there. Uh, I don't know. That's the result of a lot of my trips.
0: Really, right. So isn't this the point at which somebody who's uh, who who is a, a diplomat uh, and and a skilled negotiator takes uh, everyone off to Camp David and uh, they have a few glasses of sherry and somehow come out at the end of the weekend having sorted all this out? Um,
2: I think that this is a good time to do that. Uh, I think that it is a possibility. Uh, I think certainly uh, in both Washington and Moscow, they're trying to think about ways of starting that conversation, at least. Hmm. Um, But they have not managed it yet. There are significant um, domestic political and geopolitical headwinds against it. Not least are the, the Ukrainian view very understandable. That they don't
0: want to
1: negotiate with Yeah, the
0: and Russia. they'd have to give away... Because almost certainly that, that agreement would be, how about we don't end the world and you keep Crimea and the four regions... Yeah, that but that, and that
1: rewards aggression, essentially, yeah, yeah. which is the way many people say, well, even if this is does reach a temporary peace, it is only temporary because you're telling Vladimir Putin and the Russian establishment... Uh, you, you can have all this, but you have to wait a bit. That's essentially the. Right. Seems.
2: So if you're not in the, if you're not in the situation of having to give up territory, your view is let's have this negotiation and not end the world. And if somebody else has to give up territory for it. Okay. Uh, if you are in the situation of having to give up territory, your view is, ah, the world probably won't end. Um, and mm. so, and, you know, I mean, obviously that's possible. Both sides are, po- both things are possible. So uh, that creates a very fundamental difference between the ukrainians say and the americans the europeans um and and that means that it's quite difficult for them to come together on a negotiating position uh and it means that it's quite uh and it means that it's quite divisive in alliance and domestic politics in both uh
0: the U- in U.S., Europe, and in Ukraine. The the, the, the term tactical nuclear weapon, to, to me... Yes, yeah, I suppose we be better
1: uh, specify uh, what that means. Yeah,
0: um, to me, just a nuclear weapon means, you know, if it's used, the world goes crazy almost instantaneously, doesn't it? The idea of a tactical nuclear weapon, what does that look like? I mean, I think that we can technically... I mean,
2: I basically agree with you. I think we can technically distinguish between a tactical and, nuclear, and a strategic nuclear weapon, which is basically just their size. Mm. Um, Uh, some also some other distinctions in terms of fallout but um the the tactical nuclear weapon is somewhere in the in the range of 10 to 100 kilotons i mean 10 kilotons is a is you know a relatively small weapon um and that uh
0: i think they range higher than that too but um uh what would that do what sort of area and what would the fallout be and i mean you know we don't really know what the fallout would
2: be because we don't have a lot of examples of this and we don't really know the exact characteristics of the but of you wouldn't the want risk to risk it
0: close to your own border though would you uh i wouldn't
2: think so but i may not have the You'd same have to know which way the wind was the blowing, of
1: course which you remember from chernobyl yeah. was rather significant mm. yeah the russians,
2: the russians may have different views on what the fallout characteristics of the weapons are than than mm-hmm. we do uh because i don't think we I, I at least don't have a great sense of that mm-hmm. in terms of the explosion it's quite depending on the size of the weapon it's quite containable it could be you know you could be taking out uh, you know two or three city blocks um or it could be a lot bigger Gosh. uh so it's Uh, they really the russians have a wide range they have something we don't really know for sure but we think somewhere in the order of two to four thousand of these tactical
0: nuclear weapons uh so it's a lot and do Uh, they work i mean do they know they work i mean because that would be humiliating wouldn't it although maybe we just wouldn't know if they tried it and it didn't go off
2: yeah we don't know that they work um i don't know that they know whether they work because obviously they haven't tried one in a long time in uh the u.s you know has a uh, uh um a program to ensure that it's nuclear stockpile, uh, still works which which they do through very impressive, high technology, computer simulations. Don't ask me exactly how it works. Um, and so the U S has quite a bit of confidence in its nuclear stockpiles, uh, actually working. Uh, I don't think that the Russians likely have that. Um, and I think that that means that it's very difficult for them to contemplate a, um, a, a demonstration, because uh, I was looking back at the decision to drop the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs and uh, in 1945, the U.S. decision, and they contemplated a demonstration in an uninhabited area or something, um, but realized that actually they didn't know whether the bombs would explode. Um, and so they uh, and they were two separate bombs. So actually two different types of bombs. And so actually they didn't know whether either one would explode. Mm. Um, and so they decided that they couldn't risk a demonstration because for a demonstration, you have to say it's going to happen here at this time. And then if it doesn't, it look, you
0: look pretty, you look it pretty bad. It wouldn't work. So they, so they take out a couple of apartment blocks in in, in, in somewhere that they feel like they can, they can get away with. I mean, if they did it in, in the capital, then that obviously wouldn't go down too well with the rest of the world. But irrespective of where they do it. They're going to lose their allies, aren't they? Isn't Russia going to isolate itself by doing this? Aren't they going to be aware of that before they do it?
1: China would take a dim view. One would assume. Yeah,
0: I think uh,
2: China would take a a dim view uh, of this, uh, but I'm not sure that they would lose them in any dramatic way. Uh, Um, Really? The uh, There's an interesting um, uh, podcast on this from the Financial Times with Sasha Gaboev. the other day and you know essentially he said that um from the from the chinese perspective they would not be happy about this but uh they would recognize that they need russia to survive this war that um that a russian uh, a western takeover of russia or eliminating russia from the geopolitical equation would be very bad for them uh, and so they, and frankly, they don't really have any levers to stop the Russians mm. from doing it. Um, so
0: uh, there's not; they're not likely to even try to interfere. So the the picture you're painting is that this could escalate quite quickly. Then uh, t- to the point where we are on the brink, and I'm not quite sure how well, we well, how well, we pull well, ourselves back from well, that. Well, brink.
1: Jeremy, I mean, you you've obviously you've, you've been speaking, I, I imagine, to people inside the U.S. administration, the U.S. government. At least on that side, are they wargaming these kind of scenarios as we have been? Do they do they have genuine fear or even expectation or worry that this is where we are going,
0: or are we are we living in, in, in ignorance on this? Are we sort of like talking it down because we're, we're uh, fearful? No, of No,
2: I'm not informing the U.S. government about this at all. They they are uh, very aware of this risk. And they are uh, uh, they are trying to think about options and wargaming uh, it as you say, and they're at least as sophisticated as I am. Actually, significantly more sophisticated. Um, I think it's a very impressive and talented and team that the uh, that's doing this in the U.S. government. Um, so, uh, I guess to me, the problem is that um, this isn't a this isn't just an issue of awareness. This isn't just an issue of intellectually accepting it. There are very difficult political constraints that they are operating under domestic, political, geopolitical constraints. Uh, And there's a big argument within the U.S. government, as there is outside the U.S. government, about the the degree of risks and how much risk to accept and and whether we are right about the escalation ladder. And so I think that if you combine those constraints with the dissenting views uh, within the government, yeah the path is likely to be the one that i'm talking about even though my view is well represented in the u.s government and they are thinking very hard about this problem
1: are they as worried as you are briefly do you think
2: many of them are as worried as i am yeah not certainly it, that certainly varies uh, across the government
0: and if we follow your path down to the ultimate conclusion how does it end
2: uh well it, um i should say by the way just on the last question that President Biden himself expressed this worry uh, last week. And so uh, that does indicate that it is he's being briefed in that way. Um, uh, What was the question? How does it end? end? I I think
1: we can we have a picture in our minds, but we hope it's not that.
2: Well, I mean, if if there is a strategic nuclear
0: exchange between the United States and Russia, that's a civilization-ending event. So we, so we would, so someone would back down, wouldn't they? So that's, so that that that, aren't they the only two? If you take it to its ultimate conclusion, aren't the two scenarios either uh, the end of mankind or someone backs down? Uh, Yes, but I, I mean, if
2: at the very end that's the case, um, I think that between now and then we have lots of opportunities. Uh, and uh, I'm not thinking that this scenario is imminent. This is not going to happen tomorrow or next week. Mm. Um, we have lots of opportunities for negotiations and for thinking about ways in which we can reach a compromise, which will probably be uh, almost definitionally be one side backing down more than the other. But will be able to be spun by both sides as a, as, a win. As, mm. as a win. Yeah. So that, that those options are not gone. What, what, what about they are
1: hard? What about moving just sideways, in a way, and saying, what if the Russians used chemical or biological weapons, say a weapon of mass destruction but not nuclear, uh, as being, in their terms, perhaps almost a compromise on what they might do, however ghastly that might be? Would that involve invite the same kind of response, do you think, from the West? Um, I don't think they have any um,
2: biological options. Um, In terms of chemical weapons... It's very hard. I mean, I don't think that they are I don't think that they change anything, really. Um, I think that the West would still want to react and might still react in the same way. And so it might still create uh, the um, uh, the nuclear scenario. But I'm, I guess I haven't really looked at that one that much. But I think it kind of doesn't matter because uh, if they used chemical weapons and the West didn't respond, it wouldn't it wouldn't change the battlefield equation so
0: a week or two later they would be looking for other options and this fallout and we don't know what the fallout effect is you've said it, you've said it a couple of times i mean what impact could that have if we have a series of tactical nuclear explosions in in different parts of ukraine i mean ukraine is you know seen as the food basket for europe and you know and africa and, and africa as well yeah uh, to to what impact could what impact would that have on, on food supply could we have a food crisis coming out of this as well as you know Know, the energy crisis that we're we're seeing in europe currently oh uh, we could um i just personally don't i don't really
2: know i'm not sure that anybody does mm. i think that the the uh, the thing is we might not even know after it happens um you know we we took we created around uh chernobyl a huge ex- not we but the ukrainians and the russians uh, the the soviets created a huge exclusion zone around um Around Chernobyl and that exclusion zone is now thriving in terms of wildlife and everything. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think some of we them have an a... unusual
1: number of heads. It has to be said, but but otherwise. Okay. <laughs> well, there we are. Better value for money. Mm. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not even sure that that's what's going on. Actually, I think it's just. It's just. Yeah, uh, I think it's people
1: not being there is the biggest. People plus. not
2: being there is the mm, big yeah, plus. Yeah. yeah. Um. I th- so I I think that we don't have a great sense of what radiation would do. And most likely, regardless of what it did, we would be so afraid of it that we would overreact. And so we would have those effects regardless of what the actual fallout was.
0: So we're going to have to wrap up because we've been we're talking long enough now and it's starting to depress people. But, <laughs> but to put it but, if, if, but if we... I'm I mean, depressed too, if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> no, it doesn't, doesn't at all. But <laughs> how much of this is actually, you know, uh, you know, I think this is really where we started, that a regime... That feels backed into a corner and is having to is having to lash out just like, you know, bullies in the schoolyard. Yeah, I think that's the
2: essence of it. But I would maybe put it slightly differently, which is it's a regime backed out into the corner and afraid for its life and looking for desperate ways of reversing that
1: situation. How likely do you think anything we've been talking about is to happen? I mean, what do you think is the probability possibility? Where does it stand? Yeah, well, I guess the way that I put it in my article is that it is the most likely
2: scenario that we have right now. But what I mean by that is not that it's a you know more than 50% chance. I just mean that it's the path that we're on. And if we don't do anything to get off that path, this is where we will end up. I think there are lots of ways that we can get off that path. Um, but right now, I don't see
0: anyone taking them.
1: Right. No. Jeremy, thank you so much for being with we us. We will put a link, by the way,
0: Jeremy. I, I, mean, I wish I could say it's been a delight talking to you, but actually it hasn't. <laughs> uh, but we'll, put, I get, we'll, I get, we'll I
2: get that a lot, even when <laughs> this isn't like this that, so That's
0: fine. By <laughs> the way, you can read Jeremy's article in half the time it took to, uh, a quarter of the time it took to listen to this podcast, but it's been interesting to flesh it out, and we will
1: put a link to Brilliant that article because
0: yeah. uh, it is
1: worth a read yeah, uh, so in, in, in with the podcast. Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Gosh.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, I mean, he was an entertaining guy, actually, but yeah, it was absolutely. just a shame the subject matter was. I mean, what a shame we couldn't talk to him about something a little bit lighter because he was, you know, well, interesting he, guy yes, to talk but to. He
1: knows where off he speaks. And I think the thing is, what the, what, what the awful thing to draw from that, I suppose, is the fact that we're even talking about it in mm. these terms. It's almost normalizing it.
0: I was surprised by this idea that, uh, I mean, even though, you know, a couple of city blocks, it sounds devastating. But actually, it's less devastating than I thought a small nuclear
1: weapon would be. I thought, well, yes. Know, A conventional bomb of a certain size could take out three or two or three city blocks. But it's the point that you go over a certain threshold and everyone goes, well, hang on a second. Where do we go now? Because it goes from there and it's part of the Russian idea. It does uh, become
0: who who backs down first, doesn't it? That's
1: the question. It does. And I, I do not see an easy way out of this myself because I can't see the Americans conceding. Or allowing, one of them. I can't see the Ukrainians are conceding, and I can't see the Americans insisting that they do yeah. in terms of land.
0: Yeah. Whereas I think the Europe and the UK
1: might be saying, "Well, it brings down our energy bills." Well, UK perhaps less so historically, mm-hmm. anyway. But certainly the Germans who are getting cold this winter might be feeling it. But it's all a bit grim. But anyway, we're going to move on to something. Slightly less. Grim. We're moving, in fact, geographically next week because we're going to be talking about China. Well, we think we are. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I mean,
0: cause see, I mean, this is a podcast every week, of course. And, you know, there is that question about uh, the UK government and uh, how that's playing out. Small so,
1: stuff comparative.
0: It is, compared to all of this, it absolutely is. But we'll see. I mean, but... Yeah, but at an interesting but more moment. than likely next week we're going to yeah, look at because China because we've
1: had the, the Chinese, Chinese People's Congress, Congress yeah. which is uh, likely to be uh, President uh, installing Xi. President yeah. Xi in position for well, the foreseeable future but huge questions asked about how much the West can deal with China it does obviously have enormous economic links yeah. uh, and, but that and
0: relationship has certainly changed over recent years hasn't absolutely. it? So, and is it going to continue down that way? and and what are President Xi's aspirations really? what yeah. does he want for yeah, China? And how
1: far and can we disengage even if we fear that we are being surveilled and all the rest of it through Chinese technology. Uh, is it possible to unpick this particular net, even assuming we wanted to? Yeah, yeah. All that
0: next week on the Y Curve. Thanks for being with us this week. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks assuming for listening.
1: Assuming we're not dead, but <laughs> yeah,
0: thanks. See you next week. The Y Curve.